What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. This is the one-stop shop for all things coaching. I am your host, Cody Boom Boom McBroom, and I am here to coach you through all things to help you be more successful, not only with your body inside of training and nutrition, but with your mind, with your success, with your stress, with your relationships, with everything that we can possibly talk about on the show. I am here to help you personally develop into your best self. If you are new to the show, please do me a huge favor and scroll down into the description and check out the top four ranked episodes by the listeners. That's going to be the nutrition FAQ, the training FAQ, nutritional periodization, and last but not least, my personal journey and story into fitness coaching. I highly suggest you also hit the subscribe button, guys. We drop three episodes per week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That is going to be a series-related episode on Monday, an interview on Wednesday, and a Q&A on Friday. And that's what today is. Today is a Q&A, and I literally think I have too many questions to even finish in one podcast. So this might be two episodes. If not, I'm going to try to uh, rapid-fire these through. But we have probably over 30 questions sent in from the listeners, which I'm super excited about. Uh, Training and nutrition predominantly, but we got a couple random personality ones, which I love answering. Some business and stress management ones. We got a lot of good, well-rounded questions. You guys are going to get a ton out of this podcast. I'm really excited to help relay this information, be your translator so you can get better results. Guys, before we get into the show, I have a couple quick announcements. The first one being that next weekend is the seminar with myself and Lauren Conlin. If you are in the Pacific Northwest or you feel like traveling out here, you're close enough to do so, or you want to fly across country, be my guest. I would love to have you out there. There are still a few seats left, and I'm going to drop that link in the description of this show. But there is also an opportunity to do the live stream. So if you cannot travel out here, you can join us via live stream, which means you can watch the entire seminar as it happens, and you can also be involved in the Q&A at the end, which is going to be super valuable. Um, But... If you cannot make it to the live stream either because you are out of town, you have family events, you have something that is keeping you distracted and uninvolved in our seminar next weekend, you can still attend this technically because the live stream will also be recorded on HD camera. So whether you are attending in person or you are purchasing the live stream video, you will get access to the Facebook group for three months to ask us questions about the seminar and you will get access to the HD recording and you can watch it a million times as often as you want, whenever you want. So no matter what, we have an option for you to check out the seminar and learn from Lauren Conlin and myself. I'm going to drop both the live seminar and the live stream uh, links in the description of this podcast. All right, guys, last thing I'm going to mention is helping me grow this podcast. I would greatly appreciate it if you can do me two huge favors. Head over to iTunes, leave a uh, five-star rating and review. If you're already subscribed to the show, make sure that you search the show still because for some reason iTunes is weird and you have to actually search us in iTunes store in order to leave a review. The second thing is to take a screenshot of this episode, head over to Instagram, post it on your story, and tag myself at cody.boomboom so I can see who's listening and I can personally thank you for listening and spending this time with me. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's get on to the Q&A. All right, so let's pull up the first question here. It's a long one. This one is sent in from Aaron Pike. And guys, I should probably mention this. I meant to mention this in the intro, but I didn't. If you want your question answered, I want to answer your question. So there's three ways to get your question answered. And as you will be able to see by a couple of these, they're very individual. So if you don't personally have a coach, this is literally the best way to get coaching advice. That's the goal with this podcast. So three things you can do. First one, best one, head over to boomboomperformance.com slash podcast. There's a link for that in the description. There's a form on there that you can fill out, name, email, and question. You do not need or I'm sorry, you will not be put on any random list. You will not get any spam. You won't get sold anything, I promise. So when you fill out this form, you just put your name, email, and question. This gets sent to my email, and I can email you back if I need you to elaborate more, if I want to answer you privately, or if you have a question that you want privately answered and not brought up the podcast, technically you could use this as well. Um, But the form says Ask Boom Boom, and it is on the left side um, of the screen, but I'm thinking if you're on mobile, it's probably at the bottom. You probably got to scroll down to the bottom of the screen, the footer. Um, The second way, follow me on Instagram at Cody.BoomBoom. I'm super active there and I answer every single DM. Shoot me a DM, ask me any question in the world and mention podcasts. I have to say that because I realized the other day I probably answer 20 to 30 DMs a day easily um, and I love it. I'm, I'm willingly open 
open up to anybody who DMs me. I love answering questions. I love having conversations with people. But I realize that I get so many great questions that are very individualized and I help people through them and I never bring them up on the podcast. Um, and I realized that and I was like, why am I not doing this on the podcast? Um, and the reason I'm not doing that is because they don't say, hey, I have a question for your podcast. They just ask me a question. I end up just answering it in massive detail. Um, so say, yo, I have a question for the podcast because that'll remind me to bring it up on the show. Um, and then the third way is you can purchase an ebook. So shameless plug, all of our ebooks are super valuable. They're super cheap. Um, and when you purchase an ebook, you get access to the private Facebook group. So when you're inside the private Facebook group, you can ask me any question, you can tag me, and I can bring them up on the podcast. And that's also the first place that I post to ask for questions for the podcast Q&A. So a lot of these questions come from there. All right. Now, let's get on to the show. Aaron Pike asked, so I've been training for a while. So this is a pretty good question. Long question too. So I've been training for a while now, around eight years. It's my hobby. It has a direct effect on my job, to my job. So I take it pretty very seriously, pretty slash very seriously, as do my nutrition. For a while now, six plus months, I've been trying to put on some size. I'm currently 85 kilograms at roughly 9%. And I love how I look in terms of leanness, but I want to put on some more muscle and size onto my body. Being tall, lean-looking guy, I want to be a bit bigger. Because I was going to say, I wonder how tall you are because 85 kilograms at 9%, like, you're probably jacked. Logically, I know I need to eat a lot to put more size and a fair amount of that being carbs. After being so strict with tracking and counting my food, I pretty much made myself have a fear of putting on size because I don't want to lose how lean I am. And it's pretty daunting eating so much food and carbs in general, just reaching out to see if there's anybody that needs anyone out there with some tips or has suffered from similar things. Happy to elaborate on this if you need me to. And I actually did email him in it back and I just said like, Hey, are you just saying like, yo, do you have like a fear of eating food? Are you afraid of gaining weight? Are you worried about putting on too much fat during a muscle building phase. And he basically said, yeah. And I think like this, this is obviously a mental thing. Um, and I'm, we're getting ready. I don't know if it's going to be out by the time this podcast comes out, but we're getting ready to do a blog on this for females. So female gaining phases and Caroline did this blog because we put her through a gaining phase. So we did a full quote unquote off season to build muscle and gain weight. And now she's going into her prep for a bikini show. And during the gain weight gain process, um, I have to. I'm just gonna fucking pull it up because it's honestly pretty insane where she ended up. Um, by the way, I fi- I just got my first ever desktop game changer. Having a mouse and a big screen to create content on is insane. So she is. So her blog will have a transformation picture of her on it. And it's pretty insane. And she, the weight changes. 134 pounds to 145. So she gained 11 pounds. One inch on her bicep, one inch on her thighs, two inches in her hips and glutes, and lost two inches on the waist. So she has more definition in her her lower abdominals. I wouldn't say like her abs are more ripped. um, Because she was definitely leaner in the first one, but... She really wasn't. She almost has more definition because she put so much muscle on in the second. So I'm really excited about this blog because it's going to shed light on this for women too. But my point with this is she gained 11 pounds, an inch on her arms, inch on her thighs, inch on her hips and glutes, um, and she didn't gain any size on her waist. If she didn't take those measurements, she would have freaked out at the scale. But we con- we tracked every- – you almost have to be meticulous in your standpoint, dude. And I know there's there's a there's a tough balance here because you're in a position where you're like, man, I was too meticulous with my diet. Then now I have this fear of eating too much food and I'm meticulously tracking everything. But the reality of this is is that if you're not – not necessarily meticulous, but if you're not very specific with the metrics you are tracking, I actually think you are going to be more likely to be discouraged in uh, – not annoyed, but frustrated because you won't see where the gains are going. So you need to weigh in every single day and check averages. If you're weighing in every single day, you can see that there's going to be fluctuations, but at at the whole, you're going to see a trend week to week. And that's what we're aiming for with the clients that we work with that are trying to build size without gaining fat. Um, You have to be okay with a little bit of fat gain because the reality is if you want to make good strides on muscle growth over the course of, let's say, six to 12 months, you have to plan on putting on a little bit of fat. Um, Caroline built up. She probably put on a little bit of fat during the process and she's going to cut that. Now the fat she did put on because she did this in a really smart way and we took her through a slow lean gaining approach and we were very uh, conservative with the increases in her calories and we were very specific with her style of training. 
She didn't gain much fat. You can't see it. She probably did, and we're going to lose that fact. She's going into a bikini show. But it's not something that you look at her and be like, oh, yeah, she claimed to gain weight. It's like, dang, if you look at her, she looks more defined, and it's because she built muscle. Granted, again, we took a very conservative approach. So from where you're at, you're already out of maintenance, obviously. Dude, add 5 to 10% calories. Like literally, like I want to say like inside the muscle and strength pyramids, if you look at their recommendations, I want to say for an advanced lifter, which you are because you've been training for eight years, I want to say it's like 50 to 150 calories, which is usually what I recommend with people. I will push that to 300 calorie in a surplus depending on the individual and how their metabolism is if I know them really well. But at the end of the day, we're taking a very – conservative and small approach, like a very small bump up in their calories. And that ultimately leads to slow progress, but it's just straight muscle. Like that's what we're really aiming for here. And I want to get that across because I think that's very important. So you're going to take a conservative approach. Your training needs to increase in volume, most likely. Um, You need to have deloads where you have low volume phases or else you'll burn out. High volume is great in the acute setting. It's destructive in the long term. So You have to have a cyclical high volume approach. What that means is you're taking three to six weeks, however long your personal biofeedback takes to kind of go to shit essentially, however long it takes you to overreach really. You're going to take three to six weeks and drive volume up. Then you're going to take one to two weeks and you're going to deload driving volume down, possibly increase intensity and just do like low rep strength work. Then you're going to come back to... Uh, high volume training. You can also do this in like a two week block with deloads in there. So you could go three weeks, high volume, one moderate deload week, three weeks, high volume, one moderate deload week, take a full four week strength phase where you low rep, heavy weights, three weeks, one week deload, and then you go back to high volume. So it's a two to one ratio of hypertrophy to uh, strength training. But the point is, is you're going high volumes to push growth, which usually means you're going to have to train five to six days a week. I'm a big fan of like a upper lower alternating split for six days a week or a push pull legs or an upper lower rest push pull legs. Five or six days a week of training and, and lifting like a bodybuilder for people who are trying to strictly build muscle and who are increasing calories into a surplus. I think it's just one of those things where as you increase calories, we have to plan on increasing volume because volume is what's creating the stress that's going to elicit change in the muscle. Nutrition and the surplus is what's going to provide the recovery to allow that adaptation to happen. So they're they're working together simultaneously. We drive volume up. We drive calories up. Um, and then from a mental perspective, you have to just start thinking macro, man. You have to think long term. You could, like the reality is, is fat loss is easy compared to building muscle. So if you're already really lean, dude, if you put on, let's say like worst, ask yourself this, what is the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is that you go too aggressive and you dirty bulk, you gain 20 fucking pounds in three months. More than half of that is fat. You don't like the way you look shit, I did this wrong. Let me spend the next 12 weeks cutting. You remove all 20 pounds because it was easily gained and it will be easily removed, especially if you're normally at a lean set point. And then you try it again the smart way. That's the worst thing that can happen. But most likely what will happen because you're smart, you've been training a long time, you're already conservative with your diet to stay lean, you're naturally pretty lean and you're listening to podcasts like this, which means that that tells me that you are into the information and you're studying you are probably going to take a more logical and conservative approach. You're going to bump up calories by 5 to 10%. You're going to bump up calories anywhere between 50 calories to 300 calories. And you're going to adjust up until your body weight starts gaining at a rate of like a quarter of a pound a week. That Now, that's only one pound a month. But by the end of six months, I can guarantee that four pounds of that is pure muscle. Right? That's a very slow approach. And granted, there's some evidence that might suggest that you might plateau after three months and you have to increase more. Um, there's some good evidence too that suggests some people are just hard gainers. Um, that's not a science-based term, but it's true. Like I have one guy that we kept creeping up calories to lean gain and his weight just kept falling down. It would gain, gain, drop, gain, gain, drop. His metabolism was too adaptive and would pick up. So finally I was like, fuck it, dude. We're, we're going hard at this. We just brought his calories up like crazy. Finally starts gaining and putting on size. And it's just like we had to make an aggressive jump and probably put on a little fat in the process. But that's what it took his body to gain size. We'll cut later. That'll be easy. So I think you just have to think big picture like that, man. I mean, even for me, I went through the surgery and I got kind of skinny fat afterwards. I mean, for relative to my mindset and what my goals and my aspirations for my physique are and what my history of my physique has been. I was kind of skinny fat and it was depressing, man. And I had to take a step back and and do things differently. So I recomped a little bit by building a little bit of muscle post uh, surgery and, and I would say getting a little bit leaner just because I was getting back to training, going from no training. And then 
I, from there, uh, really started thinking macro, man. I, I, I basically, I'm doing a cut and I'll do the photo shoot at the end of August. If I'm not ready by the end of August, which I'm, by the way it looks, I'm going to be ready because it's working really well. But if I wasn't, um, then I would push it out to September. Po point being, I'm going to do the shoot and then I'm literally planning another photo shoot because I don't really have a desire to step on stage. I'm setting up another photo shoot a year later, like literally a year later. I'm literally going to pay the photographer and set it up a year later. And the reason I'm doing that is because that gives me 12 months to plan a consistent gaining phase and then another cut. Um, and I want to hold myself to that. So I want to do another photo shoot and I want to be bigger and just as lean. So I think it's important to think big. And, and part of that's going to be like, I'm going to have to get uncomfortable with the skill going up too. Cause I feel you on that, man. So I think the biggest thing is like, you're normal for thinking this. A lot of people think this, um, Think long-term, man, and just remember that fat loss is a lot easier than muscle gain. So spend this time building muscle while you can. All right. Next one we got, James Ward. How would you adjust nutrition and training for someone running a marathon? Still looking at resistance training two days a week as part of their training. Race is mid-November. Hmm. So let's start with training. How would I adjust training for somebody running a marathon? Still looking at, at resistance training two days a week. I would probably actually do three days a week, and I would do kind of in a way a DUP style of training. So I would have one day where I'm doing low rep strength work. I would have one day where I'm doing hypertrophy work, and I would have one day where I'm doing muscular endurance work. So basically I have one day in the like three to six rep zone. I have one day in the like seven to ten rep zone, and I have one day – Actually, I would say more like 8 to 12 rep zone. And then I have one day where I'm doing the um, – and I wouldn't classify that as like you're in the hypertrophy zone. So I don't want people to take that and think, oh, those are hypertrophy reps because all volume equates to hypertrophy when it's added up. Um, but we just say that because you're undulating reps. That's the whole point here. One day is in the low reps. One day is in the moderate reps, so 8 to 12. And then the third day you would be in the like – 15, 20, 25, 30. You could even just do lactic sets. So basically timing yourself for 30 to 40 seconds. Um, usually lactic acid maximum production is around 40 seconds. Um, the, you just basically hit a timer for 40 seconds and you do leg press for 40 seconds. You do bench press for 40 seconds, like dumbbell press, row, whatever the exercise is. You do it consistently for that time period. Um, and you're working more of that like endurance lactic base, uh, but also getting some aerobic oxidative um, energy system work from that as well. I would do that simply because I think you're still going to get some of the nervous system and cardiovascular system benefits that are going to apply to the marathon running. However, it's going to be way safer on your joints, and you're actually going to build more resiliency in your tendons and ligaments from that compared to running. I've worked with some long-distance runners that we did more strength training than they thought we would, and we did less cardio than they thought they would, and they did better at the race compared to their pastimes because of it. And I do think it's because we can train the energy systems, the cardiovascular systems and stuff like that very similarly um, from running as we can with strength training if we're smart about it. And if we can do that, we can actually improve the muscles of the joints, but also the nervous system. We can have less joint stress and we can have more resiliency and actual strength built inside the tendons and ligaments of all your joints and muscles. And that's really, really important for a marathon runner uh, because it's such a repetitive action. So that's probably what I would do with training. The other three days a week, I would be doing some kind of cardio. Um, I probably would be doing a two-a-day, one-day. So we wake up in the morning and do like – and this is assuming the client can adhere to anything um, – and their only goal is that maybe they don't even have a job. <laughs> so I can tell them to do anything literally because you didn't give me any parameters. Um, I would probably do one day of like anaerobic or alactic work. So we're like staying in that like 10 to 40 second range of hard effort. And what you can actually do is you can actually periodize that over time to mesh together. So you basically start at the completely anaerobic and you go to the completely alactic by the end of the like eight to 12 week block. So basically week one, we're starting with like intervals of 10 second all out sprint on the salt bike or the rower. And we have a fucking two minute and 40 second break, two minute and 50 second break. So the three minute intervals, 10 seconds on a really long time off and you do a lot of intervals, but it's like balls to the wall, actually pushing yourself as hard as physically possible to the point where 10 seconds hits and you literally can't go any further more. You literally have to stop like that hard. That's true anaerobic work. Um, so I would do one day where I'm doing a little bit of that. And then as the weeks progress, that 10 seconds becomes 12, 
then 14, then 16, then 20, and the rest period slowly lowers. So you literally shift from completely anaerobic to more of an alactic anaerobic, which is like 40 to 60 seconds of work, basically pure lactic acid work, right? It's burning, it's miserable, you hate it, but it's really good for cardiovascular and, and uh, aerobic capacity building. So I would do that one day. I would do one day where I'm actually going on a tempo run, like programmed for marathon runners, like we're actually building our uh, skill and ability to run. And I probably would have one more day where I would do some kind of trail run. I just find that I think it would be more fun for them. They'd still be getting the distance in that they need to practice. And I think also the complexity of the ups and downs and the different trail stuff will just, again, it's, I think it's good from an ankle joint perspective. It's, this is kind of like theoretical, but I think it would improve things because your ankles have to be more pliable to what you're doing They're, It's more dynamic, but I also think that your heart rate and your oxidative system are working harder in different periods of times throughout the run because you're going through a trail versus just a flat circle track. And I think that would help too. Um, for nutrition, nutrition's really going to depend on the individual because, you know, my first question is always going to be like, well, what are you doing right now? So, I mean, you could get away with a low-carb, high-fat diet. You can probably do better with a high-carb diet, in my opinion. But it, it, nutrition is going to be completely dependent on the individual. So I would probably go through the normal protocols that I would go with with any client. Okay, let's assess where you're at right now. Um, let's see where your current average intake is from calories and a macro perspective. Then let's build your calories to the point they need to be. If you're under-eating, let's bring them down. If you're overeating, let's just keep them at maintenance if they're already in a perfect place. I don't think you necessarily need to be – like with marathon runners, I think they should probably be at maintenance. We don't want to gain weight. We don't want to lose weight. We got to just have enough to fuel the performance you're doing and, and stay, maintain your weight essentially. I would probably shift their diet to a more high-protein, high-carb diet if I could just because carbs are going to be better for fuel, period. Um, and then protein, you're going to need that for just the recovery of tissues, ligaments, and muscles from doing so much work, obviously. So high-protein, high-carb diet, uh, bringing their calories to maintenance, whether they're eat under-eating or over-eating, just bringing them to that true maintenance point. Um, and then putting them on a high-carb, high-protein diet, probably spacing meals out pretty evenly with protein and carbs across the board just because I think those type of people need constant fuel. Um, and then I probably would just not really carb load but like bring carbs up when really long endurance so like towards as you get closer to the marathon you're obviously going to go on some practice runs when you get ready to go on practice runs and the mileage starts piling up that's when you start playing with a little bit of carb loading and just making sure that they have adequate fuel so they don't bonk out because they're not used to running that far Courtney McFarlane any tips or good resources for improving mindset consistency and adherence to diet during weight loss um, yes. So for mindset, I think the most important thing is to be clear on why you're doing it in the first place. Like I always talk about pain and pleasure, and I think that's a really important thing to grab onto and learn how to use to your advantage. And, and what I mean by that is like, we have two pleasures and two pains and everything. Um, usually our current state before we lose weight, we have the pain of not liking what we see, right? We have the pain of, of not being happy with what we see in the mirror, not being how happy with how we feel, not being happy with how we perform, whatever the, the pain and the struggle really is, the insecurity. Then we have the pleasure of being comfortable. Like that's the thing. We have the pleasure of being comfortable. We don't really have to worry about meal prep. We don't really have to worry about training. We don't have to get uncomfortable in the gym. We don't have to be in front of anybody uh, and put ourselves out there. We can basically just watch Netflix, eat whatever the fuck we want, drink whatever the fuck we want and chill. That's the pleasure. It's comfort, security. On the other side of that, we have the pain of sacrifice. We have to sacrifice Netflix and junk food and drinking sometimes. We have to track our macros. We have to eat better. We have to meal prep, right? There, there's a sacrifice in that, involved in that. But it leads to the pleasure of absolutely loving what you see in the mirror, feeling amazing every time you take a breath, take a step, go on a run, do some chin-ups, anything. It gives you the pleasure to achieve things with your body and your physique that you never thought were possible. And I think that's well worth it. But if you remind yourself about your personal pains and pleasures, usually the pain of where you're at right now is strong enough to push through the pain of what it will take to get you where you want to be, right? And I think that's very, very important mentally to remember during weight loss. Um, I would also say like journaling, reading, and educating. I find that like if you really engulf yourself in the education behind this stuff. Like if you really want to lose weight, listen to more podcasts, read more books, study more things, join a membership site, follow an ebook program like what we offer. Do hire a coach for accountability. That's probably the best thing. Like if you struggle with consistency 
in weight loss and adherence, like the number one thing you can do to guarantee results is hire somebody for coaching. I mean, the reality is, is that's, that's 50% of what coaches do. Yes, they give you education, guidance, tools, and methods that have been proven to work over time. At least we do. But we also give a shit ton of accountability that's going to keep you on point. And that's really the bread and butter. It's a glue that holds all the tactics and methods together. So I would say hire a coach. I should probably mention that. Now, if you're not going to hire a coach, I would say educate yourself because when you start educating yourself, you tend to fall in love with the process more so than the result. And I think if you fall in love with the process versus the result, I think you're going to see better results in the long term. Um, It's going to be easier to reach those results, essentially. Um, And then lastly, I would just be like journaling and reading and meditating and doing mindful practices so you can just kind of be with yourself and be with your thoughts and, and, and just... I don't know. Like, I I think that's very undervalued inside of mindset for nutrition and weight loss. I think that if you become more mindful and you do some deep thinking and journaling and gratitude and appreciation, things like that, I I just find that people seem to be more consistent. Adriana, I have noticed that biofeedback is difficult during hormonal phasing during cycle, during my cycle while on a cut. Example, sleep is poor and cravings are high during ovulation and days before menstruation. Do you have any suggestions of macro and or training adjustments during this time? Much appreciated. Thank you. Um, I would definitely deload. Nutrition-wise, I don't think it's always smart to change things up. Um, I find that if you change things too frequently, I think it, it creates a lack of consistency inside your normal plan. So if every three weeks, you're changing your macros around, I think a couple things happen. Number one, it becomes harder to plan, prep, and stay consistent with your normal diet. Um, It takes a transition period for your body. Like if we think about like metabolic flexibility, the idea that your body can just like by the snap of a finger switch fuel sources, it, it takes a long time to get to that point. And the reason I say that is because if you're completely changing your macros around or your nutrition around just because a cycle is coming, your body does have to shift and learn how to use different fuel sources, has to get accustomed to this. You have to adjust to it personally, physically, uh, emotionally, like as far as planning and and periodizing things. And I think that throws a big wrench in the curve. Um, Also, your body does adapt to the fuel you're giving it, to the intake you're giving it, to the amount of meals you eat per day. Um, And it improves things like energy expenditure, insulin sensitivity, adherence, like uh, energy availability, things like that. So I actually think it's best to not touch your nutrition. Don't go into a deeper cut. Don't give yourself – I mean technically what the best thing to do, if you're going to change anything inside nutrition, it would be like – if your goal is fat loss, doing a three-week deficit followed by a one-week diet break, and you just time your diet breaks to be perfectly with that phase of your cycle, um, that would make sense. Um, and because your body's going through more stress, it actually probably would aid the process. Um, that would probably be my best suggestion as far as macros go. As far as training goes, you should deload. The week before uh, – when you – as a female, when you go through PMS, there's a point in time um, – I, I can't remember – the exact timeline off the top of my head, I'd have to pull up some of uh, what we've used uh, in coaching and in some of the studies and stuff like that. But there's a phase where estrogen, um, pregnenolone, progesterone, all these things are kind of uh, imbalanced and they're up and down. And I'm, I am not the uh, menstrual cycle specialist. I'm not claiming to be. Um, my coaches do really well with that stuff because they've studied it quite a bit as female coaches. Um, but there is a period throughout that phase, throughout your cycle, where It is very smart to deload because injury risk is higher, your strength is lower, your nervous system is more stressed. So it's actually smart to drop intensity. If if you're really serious about your goals, you could potentially uh, raise volume and lower intensity. So lift lighter weights but do more reps and sets on everything so you make up for the volume but you're not risking the injury. Um, You're not having a high injury risk or a high failure risk because your intensity, your load is lower. So the best recommendations I can give you are if you're going to change diet at all, it would be because you're on a fat loss phase. And the only thing to do there is just plan your diet breaks during that period of time when you have more stress on your body physiologically. The other thing would be to deload your training via intensity during that week um, so that you are making sure that you accommodate your body's uh, period of time where it's just a higher risk of injury. Rhiannon Healy. Things you wish somebody would have told you when you were prepping for a show or a photo shoot. That's a good one. Um, The first, when I did my show, I would say the biggest thing is that I wish somebody would have educated me on a reverse diet before I went into the show. 
because I gained a lot of weight after the show. I gained all my weight back and then some, um, which is common. Uh, weight regain and weight regain and then some is very common in America. Um, but I just, I went into the show, balls to the wall for like, I think I did a 13 week prep, got shredded, ate the same thing every day. I didn't track macros on a daily basis, more of like a meal plan worked, but I wasn't educated on what I was actually consuming because I just followed what was on the paper. I just ate the foods on the list and I ate them in the order they were supposed to be eaten. Um, I was a robot. So again, I got great results, but I didn't learn anything in the process. Because of that, I didn't know what to do with my nutrition after the show was done. Um, I went on a cruise, and I wasn't aware of metabolic adaptation. I wasn't aware of uh, body fat overshooting. I wasn't aware that I was my metabolism had been damaged during this time, or I should say adapted during this time. Um, and I wasn't aware of any reverse dieting protocols. So I gained a ton of weight. I really wish somebody would have helped me with that and would have educated me before. And this is one of the biggest motives behind our why. Like Our mission is, is we're passionate coaches that educate average individuals and coaches alike to achieve above average results. And this is exactly what drove me to kind of create that mission statement and just go as hard as I can on educating people to the highest level. It's because I went through this process and I wasn't educated properly. I got to my shredded goal, but then I gained it all back because I didn't understand what to do afterwards. And I didn't have any accountability. I didn't continue coaching with the person afterwards because I was like, oh, I got to my result. It's good to go now. I didn't see the macro. I didn't see the long term. I saw a 12-week diet plan that I bought from somebody, and I followed it to a T, and I got great results, and then I was screwed afterwards. So my biggest thing is that I wish somebody would have told me is just the the macro thinking, the reverse diet thinking, the recovery diet thinking, metabolic adaptation, all those aspects. Like I wish I would have known those better during the process. Um, and I can't really say – I have anything specific during any photo shoots because ever since then, all my photo shoots have gone really well and I haven't done anything bad because of that. Now, I've done a couple photo shoots where I was like, man, I wish I would have got leaner, uh, but I don't think that was anything that somebody needed to tell me. I think it was just a matter of adherence or too much stress in my life or just not planning far enough in advance. So like, all right, let's, we got 10 weeks to get ready for this photo shoot or as lean as I can, not stage lean, but as lean as possible for the shoot. And I just didn't give myself enough time. So, um, I think the biggest thing is just the education behind metabolic adaptation, reverse dieting, and what happens during a diet, like body fat overshooting. Christiana, before you were really before you really became dialed in on your nutrition and fitness, what junk slash unhealthy foods did you use to enjoy eating all the time? It's <laughs> a funny question. Before I got into fitness, I was 18 years old. So I graduated high school at 17. Um, and it was the summer of that year, so I basically was like 17 going on 18, that I that it all changed for me. I turn my birthday is July 24th, so it's actually in 14 days from when I'm recording this. Um, I think 12 days from when you're listening to this, if you're listening to it the day it came out. And I remember I graduated high school, school ends in like what, June? And then like right around my birthday, that just first birthday, like right when I turned 18, I was like, Man, I just hate what I see in the mirror. And then I made a huge change that summer. So, you know, 18, I started my journey. Um, it took me a while to lose the weight because I had a lot of bad habits to fix. Uh, but once I hit 19, I could successfully say that I lost a lot of weight because um, I dropped like 50 pounds. First, like six months was trial and error, trying every fad diet you could think of every two to three weeks. Um, and then I finally got with it and I started educating myself and I, I got really far. But my point being with that is like the type of foods I enjoyed is I, I love cereal. Like I ate f fruity pebbles and cocoa puffs and frosted flakes and just all the kinds of sugar cereal that you could think of all the time. Um, I used to love Havarti cheese and salami sandwiches with mayonnaise on white bread. Like just so fattening. Tastes delicious. Um, what else? I used to party a lot, so I drank too much. <laughs> that was a big, big part of it as well. Um, yeah, I would say like cereal was the biggest thing. Like it was just an easy snack. I would just eat that shit all the time. But I mean, back then it wasn't even like, like I think now that, that I'm healthy and that people are healthy, like I'd like, man, I wish I could have, like I told Shan the other day, this is when you know you're on cut. I was like, man, a blizzard sounds hella good from Dairy Queen. 
but that's because I'm fit. Like back then I didn't have those type of foods that I ran to all the time because it's just, I just didn't care what I ate. I just ate everything. So I ate a lot of chips. I ate a lot of random sandwiches. I ate microwave food. I ate cereal all the time, like those kind of things. Once I got healthy, then it was like cheat day. Like I remember like the first couple years in fitness, it was like a big deal. Like Saturday was cheat day. You just eat whatever you want. And we had a bakery right next to me. So I would just get like all these different cookies from the Pike Place Bakery in Seattle and just go ham on Saturdays. I loved granola. So I would eat like huge bowls of granola thinking it was quote unquote healthy. Really, it was just fucking thousand calories in a bowl. But yeah, I don't really know if I have a favorite food. I would probably say cereal. Like I used to love, absolutely love cereal. And all kinds of cereal. Alicia, how do you know you should add the fifth day of training? How can you tell that four days a week is no longer enough? Once you start working out five days a week, does it mean that a four-day split will never be effective for you? That's a really good question. I'm trying to think of how I would answer this. Um, so I think that there's a couple ways, but... The obvious, if you've plateaued. So if you're trying to build muscle and strength and for some reason you're like, I'm just not seeing progress anymore, then you should, prob you, you should probably add a fifth day if you know the answer to breaking through your plateau is volume and you can no longer add volume into your four sessions. So let's digress that. What I mean by that is I'm at a standpoint, uh, my lifts aren't going up, I clearly haven't built muscle, I'm not gaining weight, I don't look bigger, so on and so forth. Uh, and my normal upper lower split, four days a week, I am in the gym for an hour and 15 minutes. I cannot stay any longer to this. So is there any way for me to add volume inside of my workout without adding time? Maybe I could periodize it differently. So week one, I start at eight reps, then I go to nine reps, 10 reps, 11 reps, 12 reps, come back to eight reps on my compounds. And then I build all of my accessory work in the 12 to 15, 15 to 20 rep range. So now technically my volume is higher because I'm doing more high rep sets. Great, I don't need to spend more time in the gym, I'm doing more volume. At some point you need to change that to low volume training just to get a different stimulus and, and kind of rebuild the sensitization of your body and your muscles. But you also at some point will tap out on that volume. So maybe you've already done this. At that point you need to add volume but you do so by adding frequency. So now you go from an upper-lower split to an upper-lower push-pull legs or a push-pull legs six-day-a-week split. Um, and, and the simple answer is like you go – and I've done this in my life where I was like three days a week, then four days a week, um, and it got too long, and then I did five days a week. And then I actually shift to a six-day a week, and my six days a week was actually shorter. So I can do an upper-lower, 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 but each session doesn't take me as long. So I went from doing four – hour and 15 minute sessions to six 45 minute sessions. Eventually those six day session, the six sessions are probably going to build up to about an hour, hour and 15 minutes because eventually I'll build that volume back up. Um, it'll take a long time. And, and for me, I kind of recently have been re going through this because of my surgery. I have to reacclimate my body to high volumes again. So it's going to take me some time. Um, but that, that's basically your solution. Like if if you need to if you think you might need to add um yeah if you think you might need to add more volume i think the best thing to do is like that you add a day because then your sessions aren't an hour and a half two hours long i think that's just unless you would rather be at the gym for an hour and a half two hours four days a week than six days a week for 45 minutes because you don't want to drive to the gym every day then four days a week for longer sessions is a better uh answer um but yeah, I think that like I, I think the way you know that you should add a fifth day of training is just when you don't have enough time to fit the volume that you need to grow. Um, and I, and I will say too, this takes a long time to get there. So I would say before you even do that, you're most likely in a position where you can add intensification. So okay, let's really see if you're not progressing. Has your eight rep max on the dumbbell bench press gone up? No. Okay, we should work on getting stronger first in that rep zone because that's adding volume. I would rather see you add volume by adding. 20 pounds to your lifts, then add a new day of training. But once you're at a point where you're like, I'm really not progressing my strength. Um, I do drop sets. I do all these intensifications every once in a while. I can't really add volume in any timely manner besides literally adding sets and new exercises to the workout to add a handful of sets to my back and my chest, and my shoulders, and my legs, or whatever it may be, to go from 15 sets per body part towards 17 sets per body part, right? Small jumps like that. 
that takes time. So if you're in that position, that's your last resort, that's when you would jump up to five to six days a week. Amanda Sugan, I love the gym and I like to go six to seven days a week. I'm in a bulking phase with the goal of doing it for a year. Current goal is to grow my upper body for more strength, but would also like constant gains in my legs. How can I safely continue to go to the gym seven days a week, six to 80 minutes each time? Should one day still be hit or cardio uh, or less? Or can I focus on volume only because I'm bulking? I also like to throw in 10K run every 10 days or so. I would say no. Um, if you like here, here's the reality of that. Like if you're truly trying to gain and you're doing that much cardio and running a 10 K every 10 days, you're probably have too high of an energy expenditure. So you either a need to eat more food or you need to do less work. So I would probably do no more than six days of lifting. Like that's like the maximum for anybody. Um, even for enhanced bodybuilders, that's usually the max. If you're doing seven days a week, you need to be so meticulous with your training program design that you are purposely implementing recovery-based lifting sessions that are really focused on light weights with full ranges of motion. And you're more so like practicing movement patterns than you are actually lifting with resistance. So the best thing for you to do is train five to six days a week and have one to two less cardio sessions. So they're more recovery-based. Eat more food, get more sleep. I promise you will grow. Like if you're not in a surplus, you're not going to grow. If you're not sleeping seven to eight hours a night, you're not going to grow. You don't need seven days a week. You need five to six days a week of seriously intentful lifting. Um, I think seven days a week is going to lead to burnout. And that's a perfect contrast to the last question because I said you should add days if you need to add volume, but you should never go to seven days a week. There's too many other things that we can progress and implement in our lifestyle to improve the stress recovery ratio and get better gains without adding a seventh day of lifting. I think that's a little overkill. And even if we feel like we can handle it, we can only handle it for so long before we actually just burn out. And that's, and that's from experience and from a lot of clients that I've worked with over the years. All right, so Amanda actually has another question about bulking. Another one, tips on avoiding digestive upset, including bloating and constipation while bulking. Should I eat when I'm not hungry and finish my macro meal even if I'm starting to feel full? Trying to follow your advice to eat bro food means I get to eat a lot and I often feel heavy and full. I'm at three meals and one snack, so bump that up. And I like to fast from 6 p.m. to 7 a.m. End that to give my digestion a break. So like, I shouldn't say end that. I would go 12 hours maximum. So 10 to 12 hours is all you need from a fast in order to stimulate better digestion. It gives your body a 10 to 12 hour break from eating food. I think that's plenty. Um, You should be eating five to six meals because the reality of eating a lot of calories is that like digestive upset is going to be more likely when you eat a, a, a bolus of calories in one setting compared to a bolus of calories over the total day. And what that means is like if I eat Let's say my calorie intake is 3,000 and I eat three 1,000 calorie meals. That's going to cause more digestive stress than it would if I broke that up into four, five, or six meals. So you really should be eating more than three meals a day. And even if, and if you're doing a snack, that should be four meals. So instead of three meals and a snack, it should be four equal sized meals. Um, I would also be taking digestive enzymes and apple cider vinegar capsules. Both of those help a lot with the digestion and digestive breakdown process and the absorption process of protein, fats, and carbs. The apple cider vinegar helps a lot with bloating. That's something I've taken in the past when I, I take it every day to this day. There, I, there's a lot of health benefits to apple cider vinegar, um, and it does help with bloating and digestion quite a bit. Um, it helps with gas, helps with just staying lean and not feeling bloated or retaining water while consuming a lot of calories. So I would definitely suggest those two things. I think a probiotic, a good probiotic daily, I would recommend Garden for Life. Um, that's the best one I've used and seen in the research in like lab testing on like labdoor.com. I would do apple cider vinegar capsules and digestive enzymes with every single meal. So you're taking those quite frequently. They're very cheap. Um, and then I would split your meals into more meals per day. That would be the easiest thing to do. Don't fast longer than 10 to 12 hours. Um, but that would be it. And uh, uh, another comment came on this and you kind of asked like, should I eat when I'm not hungry? I would say no, uh, possibly, but most likely not. Um, and, uh, and somebody commented on this post and said, should you always feel full while in a surplus or is it possible to be in a surplus and still often feel hungry, especially on training days? I would say probably not. I think if you're hungrier on training days, that's common. 
So maybe stuke some carb cycling where your weekly total is still in the same surplus, but you drop calories a little bit on rest days, increase them on training days to keep that small, moderate surplus. Um, if you're really hungry on a surplus, I don't think you're actually on a surplus. That's, in my experience, what that says. And the reality of that is people are being too conservative with their surplus. And the reality is they're just not even in a true surplus. Um, and then I would also say, too, that like you shouldn't, you should only eat when you're not hungry. That's hard. You should eat when you're not hungry if you – this is such a hard question to answer because I don't want anybody to take the impression that I'm saying force feed yourself because I don't think that's accurate. But I think you should work up to a surplus in the right way to where you are hungry for that meal. Being in a surplus, your metabolism should be st uh, stimulated to a point where you do s s consistently stay pretty hungry in order to eat those meals. Um, so I wouldn't force feed yourself. However, there are periods of time during a bulk and when you're trying to gain weight where you do need to eat when you're not necessarily hungry. You're not like you shouldn't go into a meal full, but you shouldn't you need to be starving. You should never really be super, super hungry or starving while you're bulking. Um, and then I would just say too, like if you are consistently pretty damn hungry during a surplus, I would think about it being emotional. I think if people are consistently craving, consistently want more food, they're just eating out of boredom, it's a completely different thing than you actually being hungry. And I think it's important for people to think – I think it's important for people to go through an experiment of fasting for a full 20 to 24 hours. I think it's important for everybody to go through a serious cut so you can see what it feels like to actually be hungry. Um, and I, th I think – distinguishing the difference between thirst and hunger. So next time you're hungry, try drinking a bunch of water and see if that helps. If it helps, your body just needs water, right? And I think like if, if you're hungry and then you look around, you're like, I'm literally not doing shit right now. I'm just bored. Become aware of that because a lot of times when people are just super hungry, it's not because they're actually hungry. It's because they're bored. I think that's really important too. And then the last thing I would say about this question is, is you mentioned like trying to follow your advice to eat bro foods. I do think the bulk of your diet should be bro foods. And when we say bro foods, we just mean whole foods, right? Oats, rice, potatoes, meats, fish, low-fat, organic dairy, even non-fat dairy, fruits, produce, vegetables, things like that. I think that's important. Um, but on a bulk, if you are in a surplus and it's a struggle, like you should also practice a good amount of flexibility because at some point in time, you're probably going to shift into a cut and you don't want to – regret that you didn't take up that time to enjoy foods. When I am at maintenance or in a surplus, I check off my boxes. Did I get my omega-3 fats? Did I get my fiber? Did I get my three to four servings of greens? Did I get my one to two servings of fruit? Did I hit my protein intake? Yes, 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 yes. I got my water in. I got good sodium. Everything is good about my diet and I still have 600 calories left. I am absolutely going to have some low-calorie ice cream because I can sit on the couch, watch Netflix, and enjoy it with my fiance. Instead, of feeling like I can't eat any more food, right? So I think it's important to have a little bit of flexibility when you're in that maintenance or surplus. All right, let's see here. So we got, shit, we still got like 20 more questions. We're definitely not gonna get through all those. I love and appreciate everybody asking me questions, guys. Keep them coming. Make sure you're following me on Instagram because I do Q&As all the time, at least once a week, and I'm really having fun doing Q&As on the story. I think people are enjoying them, so make sure you go over there and ask me questions when I post those on my story. Um, Cody2Fit. These are now from Instagram. We just did a bunch of Facebook questions and email questions. Now we're going to get on to Instagram. So Cody2Fit said, thoughts on mushrooms like, uh, I'm going to pronounce some of these wrongs, myotake, cordyceps, chaga, and lion's mane for performance. I think they're great. I think if you have the money to spend on supplements, like if you're – so for example, the amount of money I spend on supplements per month would – be looked at by some individuals as a complete waste of money. Like, why do you spend that much money on supplements? The reason I spend that much money on supplements is because I enjoy testing things out. I enjoy the effect they have on me. I enjoy investing in the nitty gritty of this kind of stuff. Um, so for somebody like me, they can be worth it. I don't think they're like creatine where they're going to make a huge performance on uh, performance difference. They're not going to make a massive difference in your performance, especially not anything noticeable. I think long-term, I think they will reduce stress and anxiety. I think they will improve gut health, joint health, whatever their specific benefit is, because usually different mushrooms and different adaptogens, they usually cause different effects and benefits. So I think they do pay off, but I think it's a very slow, gradual thing that happens after consistently consuming them. And I think you will barely even notice. For example, CBD. CBD I take all time, but it's not one of those things where I take it and go, man, I'm about to sleep good or like, man, I feel real. My joints feel great right now. It's it's one of those things where I take it every day for 
few weeks and I realized like, man, I've been sleeping really good lately. It's probably that CBD. Like that's how I look at adaptogens. I think they can have a good positive effect on joint health, hormones, stress levels, uh, digestion, things like that. But I think it's just one of those accumulative factors that builds up over time. So I think they're great. Um, I don't personally take a ton of them. Um, there was a point in time where I took a lot of lion's mane and I probably should get back to that. I enjoyed lion's mane coffee in the morning. I think it did help me be productive. Um, but I don't think they're a performance enhancement per se. Kind of filtering through these questions to find the best ones for you guys. Can you continue to build strength during a cut from Mata underscore Timbo? Yes, you absolutely can. Um, I have worked with a good amount of powerlifters now on their nutrition, and we have consistently seen PRs month to month and consistently helped people win, if not place, at their competitive powerlifting meets while losing fat leading up to their show. The thing I would say about building strength during a cut is that you cannot do so in an aggressive cut. Anytime you make an aggressive slash to calories in order to lose weight, I think you're going to see a big performance drop. Um, this is why I don't like barely making uh, platform weight or stage weight or competition weight and trying to like cut a shit ton so we can get ready and drop water and stuff like that because that negatively impacts performance quite a bit. Um, what I would say is like anybody who comes to me and they're like, hey, I want to get lean. I'm, I'm a competitive powerlifter. I'm like, cool. Do you have six to 12 months to commit to me? And it's a serious question because it's like I want to work with you for months and months and months so that we can slowly build you to that point so we can slowly lose weight. I mean like I uh, I used in my mentorship program, we do – we in my mentorship program, I do a lot of coaching stuff. So it's a lot of help with Yes Business but a lot of just coach development like training, nutrition, program design. Like, And I use a lot of case study examples and I pulled up um, during the Q&A yesterday that I did for them – um, I pulled up a tracker of somebody that I've worked with on their powerlifting for fucking nine months, and we saw the slowest progression of weight loss. But over nine months, we lost 23 pounds, I think it was. So she's a completely different human being, but she's consistently PR'd every month, and she's getting on competition this weekend, and she's going to crush it. She's going to probably win her competition. I have a lot of faith in her. She feels amazing, and she is consistently getting stronger, but we've lost 20 pounds. Why? Because we periodized nutrition, we implemented diet breaks, and we took a very, very conservative caloric drop. So I think that's the big secret to building strength while cutting. It's You have to do a long-form conservative cut. You have to periodize diet breaks along the way, and you have to be pay a lot of attention to biofeedback, and you can't overtrain. So she's doing a lot of low-intensity cardio, not a lot, she's doing two days of low-intensity cardio versus a bunch of hit that's going to be neurological demanding on top of powerlifting. She's not doing a ton of cardio days. We're taking a very small approach. So I think that's the secret to it. Now, somebody in my scenario, like I'm doing my photo shoots in less than two months now, no way in hell I'm building strength. I have two months to get ripped. <laughs> There's just no way, which is fine. My goal isn't strength. It's it's to get shredded. So I think it's just different. Um, best education for applicable nutrition coaching from Kyle Dean Turner. I think that... This right here, listening to podcasts that are really educational, um, I think listening to individuals like coaches and practitioners that are very evidence-based and very focused on providing multifaceted answers instead of dogmatic or black and white answers, um, I think – and there's a lot of places I can check that I would send you. Uh, I love all the work that 3DMJ does, uh, Eric Helms, Brad Loomis, Jeff Ab Alberts, Alberto Nunez, Andrea Valdez, like all those people, they're really, really good. Um, Martin McDonald's great. Uh, Dr. Spencer Nagolsky has some great stuff. I, I will say I love his work and he's very intelligent. I don't tend to agree with his calories are all that matters model. And I don't know if he truly believes that, but that's the message he kind of puts out. And I think there's something to be said that sometimes it's not just about calories. Um, but I do agree with him in the sense that I think people blame things on hormones too much. But he has good information. Uh, Lane Norton, great information. I don't agree with uh, like hating on everybody and shitting on people. I mean, he's not incorrect when he <laughs> puts people out there on blast. I just don't agree with the method behind it. However, I buy all of his books. Uh, I subscribe to his website. Like I really like his information. I've learned a lot from him over the years. Um, Cliff Wilson in the bodybuilding space is great. 
Um, obviously, the muscle and strength pyramids, mass research review, stronger by science, Greg Knuckles, Eric Trexler. Like, there's just a ton of people. Um, Nutritional Coaching Institute, if you want to get certified, Precision Nutrition, um, the Journal of International Sports Science Nutrition, JISSN.com. Um, th- there's just so many good ones. Mac Nutrition University, there's so many good ones. So um, I think the biggest thing I'm trying to relay to you is like follow and invest your time in learning from evidence-based individuals who do not have dogmatic or black and white approaches. And I think you're going to be safe and you're going to get a lot of good applicable and practical science-based information. Um, but yeah, and I would also say hire a coach. Like the, what I did before I could hire uh, mentorships, I didn't make enough money to hire a mentor that was going to spend a lot of time investing in me to help me build myself as a coach. I hired coaches. Like I would be like, hey, I'm going to do a photo shoot. I'm going to hire Jeff Nipper. Did that. Hey, I'm going to uh, get stronger. I'm going to hire Brian Borstein. I want to see how he does shit. I'm going to hire different individuals. I've hired so many different people over the years to help me with my training and nutrition. Um, right now, I have Chris Barricad doing my nutrition. He's going to be on the podcast here soon. He's one of my great friends, but I had him do it. I learned a ton from him during the process. I think that's a huge way to do it. And I think every coach should probably have a coach too. Best podcast for the most simple nutrition advice possible for newbies. Rackjack88. Um, if we're talking about my podcast, it is Simplifying Nutrition, which I don't know what episode that is. Um, I want to say it's like episode 240 to 260 area. Um, uh, maybe it's like 220 to 240 area. But Simplifying Nutrition, just search that up. That's a really good episode by me that's shorter. It's like 30 minutes, but I really break down the simple foundational steps to nutrition. Um, If we're talking about other podcasts, I would say like Ben Coombers is a good one for that. I used to really like his show when I first got into stuff because I think it's good at like a basal level stuff. Um, But I'll be completely transparent. I don't know a ton of other podcasts that are really good at the simple stuff because a lot of the podcasts I listen to are either – not related to fitness whatsoever, um, or they're very science-based. And I enjoy that information. I'm either studying or I'm trying to take my mind off stuff. So for me, I study the science-based stuff because that's just where I'm at in my career. Um, but yeah. Um, we're going to do a couple more questions. Cell Pouste Bloom. I wonder if that's French. Beta alanine and citrulline for CrossFitter useful. I think this is very dependent. Um, beta alanine for sure. I would com- combine beta alanine and creatine. Uh, it's an endurance-based supplement. I think they're both going to help recovery, hydration of the muscle, and probably help you squeeze out a couple extra reps. So during CrossFit and like time AMRAPs, I think that's very helpful because your goal is to get as many reps as possible. So I think it's smart to con- – use those. Citrulline, I go back and forth on. So there's a few things with citrulline. Citrulline malate is known for creating a good pump. I like citrulline malate because while I train, it literally helps me create a pump. I like the pump. In CrossFit, that can be counterintuitive because if I get too big of a pump, because citrulline converts with arginine in the body, if I get too big of a pump, there's too much blood flow, too much lactic acid, I will tap out and I won't be able to complete any more reps. However, if you let the process of L-citrulline fully go through, then we're also clearing that, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh my God. I'm Googling it now. It starts with an A. Why am I blanking on this word? I'm sorry, guys. Sometimes you just have to own up to the fact that you can't fucking think straight. Um, ammonia. I'm sorry. L-citrulline, it, it actually clears and buffers ammonia and lactic acid out of the system. So it helps you kind of like flush it out or push it through. So it's kind of weird. And I don't know exactly the exact molecular process. But from my understanding, you, it does help you create a pump because there is a localized blood flow. Uh, benefit to L-citrulline, like it will help that blood flow in oxidation. However, after that, it starts to accumulate, it starts helping flow and clear it out. So there's a potential possibility for it actually helping you clear out that ammonia and that lactic acid to help you keep going and squeeze out more reps. So the answer would be yes. I think both of them could be useful. Um, I think it's very person dependent and I think how your body works with it is going to be a little bit different. And I think everybody should consider hydration, sodium, and nutrition before they even dive into this kind of stuff. Um, We're going to do one more question, guys. Last one. Jeremy, Jeremiah Bear. What's good, brother? 
how do you manage staying fit and being a dad? I think that being a dad is my motivation. I think that I have to be fit to be the best dad possible. And that's, I think it's that perspective that allows me to stay fit. Um, obviously, I'm different than most dads. I run a business inside this, so I have a lot of accountability to keep doing it. But at the same time, I do believe that like it's my motivation because if I don't stay fit, I actually can't be the best dad possible. I'm not going to live as long. I'm not going to be as healthy. I'm not going to be as positive. I'm not going to avoid getting sick as often. I'm not going to be able to run around with her as much. So I couldn't be the dad I am without staying fit. And at the end of the day, we all have the time. It's about sacrificing other things to make the time to stay fit. And my purpose is her in in many ways. So I think the reason I can stay fit and be a dad is like, yes, I sacrifice other things in my life to have more time in the gym, to spend time cooking and stuff. But if I don't stay fit, I can't be the best dad possible. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.